on the record on news talk this is news talks on the record with me kieran cuddy and time now for another edition of hidden histories with donald fallon uh, donald we're talking about well partly about your beloved dublin this mm. week uh, but also how it was nearly assigned to the scrap heap uh, Altieri in the Hashiri? Altieri in the Hashiri, the Altieri. architects of the resurrection. Uh, that is a name for a political party, isn't it? Yeah, great name. Uh, they it's had a this, great name. They had this idea <laughs> in the 1940s when they proposed an entirely new Irish capital. Basically, they believed that Dublin was kind of beyond salvation. It was too cosmopolitan. It was too colonial, post-colonial. Uh, and their great idea was to establish a new Irish political capital at the historic Hill of Tara. So I suppose it's something of a it's something of a mad story. But these people, I should say at the very beginning, I mean, these weren't just cranks. This story that we're talking about today, this party that we're talking about today, in some ways you can't dismiss them entirely. You know, they won nine... Uh, they were nine councillors in the 1945 local government elections, despite being an explicitly fascist so, political party. Oh, yeah, 45. So, as in, the war was over, as good as over. Uh, the, the newsreels had been out. We knew what was happening. Look, you could argue that in 1940 and 1941, no one in Ireland knew the extent of what was happening in the concentration camps because we did have censorship in this country and news really didn't filter through. By 1945, there wasn't a man, woman, and child alive in Europe who didn't know what had happened in the concentration camps. So that this political party, Altrin Hashiri, got nine councillors elected in the 1945 local government elections, that is not insignificant. This idea of moving the Irish capital, though, from Dublin to Tara uh, is bonkers, isn't it? Also, it's frankly laughable, because like, infrastructure alone today would make it impossible. The size of the hill of Tara would make it impossible. And we know why Dublin is the capital. Dublin became the capital because of where it is. I mean, going back to the days of the Vikings, the reason Dublin thrived was its geographic location on the eastern coast of Ireland. But to Aldrin Hashari, I suppose they believed that there was a need for this entire cultural and even spiritual reawakening in the Irish country. And to them, the answer, as far as, or the answers to the future were often concerned in the past. And Tara had this great kind of pull. And I mean, this wasn't just some, some mad idea. They brought in Dohio Hanley, David Hanley, the architect. And he wasn't any old architect. This is the man who went on to design the Garden of Remembrance, which came later on. So this is a very prestigious architect. And this political party asked this man, draw up a new Irish capital at the Hill of Tara. Yeah, there's something a bit Burmese about it, isn't it? <laughs> this cultural capital out in the middle of nowhere, which is exactly what they did. Who founded it? This guy, Garrod O'Cunagan, he's an amazing character. He's the, he's the the founder of our Aldrin Hashiri. He went on this very curious journey. He was born in Belfast, a civil servant, deeply involved in the Irish language movement. And in his own words, I mean, he described the Irish language. He said the national language is a shield against modern material and atheistic cultural influences. You know, he believed that the world was a negative influence on the island of Ireland and that what Ireland had to do essentially was to protect its own cultural uh, its, its own cultural lineage. And I think he viewed the Irish language God, movement. he'd be popular on Twitter now. Wouldn't, wouldn't he, he just, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Imagine he'd be. Almighty. He'd be, he wouldn't be reviewing the papers on The Tonight Show. Anyway. And I exit he, here. He, mm. he founded a branch of Cunra Nguelga called Crave Nahashiri, or the branch of the resurrection. And it's estimated that anything between 1,200 and 1,500 people were drawn into O'Cunagan's movement. And R.M. Douglas, the, kind of the main historian who's looked at this guy and his influence, he says, you know, the people that rallied around him, 
they weren't cranks either. You know, some of them, one of them went on to become the future Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Another one became head of the Irish Film Institute. One guy went on to work in the Department of Antishock and became the head of Board Falcha. You know, most of these people were just kind of extreme cultural nationalists who didn't really like the English language. But as, as time went on, O'Cunagan became more and more right wing. And I think he kind of started envisioning himself and his followers as the stormtroopers, or you might say the brown shirts, of kind of Irish cultural nationalism. And it wasn't surprising that in time he'd gone from an Irish language activist to really an explicitly fascist voice in Irish life. Yeah, we mentioned the nine councillors that they won. Like fascism though, I suppose, in a, to, compared to obviously continental Europe, it never really took hold in Ireland, in the Republic, but it, it was still relevant. Yeah, and you shouldn't laugh, I mean, we shouldn't laugh at the idea fascism anywhere in Europe in the 1940s because the places where it had often come up was very, very surprising. And if you ask someone in the early 20th century, if you said, where is there going to be a communist revolution in Europe? The last place anyone would have said is probably Russia. You know, Russia was an underdeveloped society that took everyone by surprise. And if you ask someone in the early 20th century, where is there going to be a communist revolution in Europe? They would have said places like Italy and Spain, where there was a very, very strong left. Both of those countries by the 1940s were fascist. You know, so fascism had emerged in places where people really didn't think it had a hope. And you couldn't laugh at the idea of fascism taking off anywhere. This was Ireland. The 1930s in Ireland were so brutally anti-communist. You know, the, the war in Spain had aroused public solidarity with Franco rather than with the left. Uh, the Catholic Church were very, very strong and moving to the right as well. And Okunagani, he, he talks this remarkable language. He says... Adolf Hitler has said that he wants to arrange the history of Europe for a thousand years, but we Irish, it's fated for us to cooperate with arranging the affairs of the world for all eternity. So, I mean, this guy literally sees himself as being a greater European political leader than Adolf Hitler. Uh, so he has ideas above his station, you might say. And they never got a TD, Aldrin Hashiri. But they basically had a man in the doll uh, who was Oliver J. Flanagan TD, an independent TD, later Fine Gael. He's very close to the movement. He's basically letting them ask whatever questions they want of the government. And Oliver J. Flanagan's politics are absolutely toxic. I mean, his maiden speech in the doll, when you're elected into the doll, your maiden speech is meant to be thanks to everyone in whatever constituency you're from, thanks to my canvassers, I hope to represent the people with great dignity. His maiden speech in the Dáil, he says, there's one thing that Germany did, and that was to rout the Jews from their country. Until we rout the Jews out of this country, it doesn't matter a hair's breadth what orders you make. Where there's bees, there's honey, and where there's Jews, there's money. I mean, so that's the, that's the political discourse of the day. No one stands up and tells Oliver J. Flanagan, you can't say something like that inside the doll. So there's a certain currency, you know, for this kind of madness. And back to the party again, Althiri Nahashiri. I suppose we have all these exam students at the moment, junior cert and leaving cert, and they'll be familiar with the power of propaganda when it came to the <laughs> Nazi party and those fascists. Did they use similar they're tactics brilliant. here? Althiri Nahashiri, they're just brilliant at propaganda. The, the visual stuff they produce is remarkable. And um, what they use, and it's really groundbreaking at the time, they use these wheel carts which go around the city. And that's not unlike what we've seen during the referendum and during elections today. You know these trucks that go around town all day with messages on the yes. side of them? Althiri Nahashiri, they're kind of like the fathers of that in an Irish context. And they've got one of them that shows a British customs hut on the Northern Ireland border and it says it's, it's like, it's like uh, Uncle Sam or Lord Kitchener you know we want you it says it's up to you to pull this down there's another one that says partition must go and it's the red hand of Ulster with a dagger going through it and there's quite a lot of anti-Semitism too I mean there's another wheel cart that says that the war is being caused by Jewish financial interests so they're tapping into primarily kind of anti-British sentiment which was quite strong in the country even De Valera was worried about the extent of kind of pro-axis feeling among sections of the population so Aldrin Hashari a lot of this 
anti-British stuff in the 1940s, it is resonating with people. Now, some of their positions are downright odd. They're yeah. very hostile to tourism. They think tourism is a very negative thing. You know, these, these Americans and English people are coming in here. Like the natives yeah. in Barcelona yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you go to Barcelona, you, you see that graffiti everywhere. Tourists go home. You know, as far as Altria and Hashari are concerned, tourism, what it's doing is it's diluting Irish identity uh, and they're hostile to that but other things I mean some of how they think is very tied into what Mussolini is saying or what fascists are saying on the European continent I mean they're kind of they're anti-communist and they're also anti-capitalist as Mussolini was they say you know it's evident that the present social and economic system is unsuited to the needs of the Irish people the flower of Irish youth continue to flee the land emigration is our only flourishing industry and they call for what they call Christian corporatism which is like this hybrid if you will of capital uh, and social politics so they're, they're very much in keeping with European fascism, but in some ways they're very curiously Irish, right down to opposing tourists going to the cliffs of Moher. So then let's get back to the Hill of Tara. Ludicrous. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just a ludicrous idea. And if anyone wants to have a look at it, if, if you Google uh, Hill of Tara, Altry, I know Altry and Hashire is hard to remember, but Hill of Tara, Dahio Hanley, you'll see the plan for it. And it's just absolutely bonkers to me. But Tara holds this place, you know, it's cultural, it's social, it's religious, it's political. It's where the Irish High Kings were inaugurated. It was central to ancient pagan festivals. Daniel O'Connell went there and spoke to one of his monster rallies. I mean, Tara has been at the at the centre of Irish history since prehistoric times. So it's not surprising a party that's obsessed with the past would be kind of lured towards it. Uh, And as far as they were concerned, it was logical to make it the symbolic capital. And crucially, they believed the reason Tara was so central to them was it wasn't tainted by what they called alien influence. So as far as they're concerned, Dublin is beyond salvation. And really, Dublin is just, as far, as far as they see it, reading between the lines, Dublin is basically Protestant and it can't be central to any Irish resurrection. They say that we have to, quote, break the alien influence exercised by the denizens of Rat Mines, Ratgar, <laughs> and the Royal Irish Academy. You know, as long as we have the people of Rat Mines on our doorstep, we can never have a truly Gaelic Dublin. That's how they see it. And when you look at those plans, as you said, if people look up uh, Dahi O'Hanley or David Hanley and Hill of Tara, they'll find them. <laughs> they had a lot of stuff planned. They had their own birthday at the time, yeah, Bertie, Stadium. Bertie couldn't get the Bertie ball done. Uh, Aldrin Hashire promised that they'd do it. They planned that they'd build a national theatre, a national stadium, a national university, a great national avenue and a garden of heroes with a column of the resurrection rising up over it. So that would have looked a little bit, it's been said, like the spire on O'Connell Street. You know, that would have been the centrepiece of all of this. Uh, and Dio Hanley, the architect of it, you know, he said that it would demonstrate that, quote, we are earnest in our intention to build for ourselves a new world in Ireland. And Hitler was talking about doing this. Yes, I mean, Albert Speer. Yeah, model. Albert Speer's great plans for Berlin. I mean, the, 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 the Hitlerists wanted to do this in Berlin. I think uh, O'Kunigan and people like him were kind of copying that model and trying to apply it in an Irish context. And, and you mentioned, say, all the, the relevance of the Hill of Tara culturally and everything. Like, it, it wasn't just... Uh, Altieri and Hashiri, it was others. And Tara at this stage had been devastated. There had been mad moments. I mean, in the early 20th century, these Israelites arrive over from Britain and start digging up Tara because they were convinced they'd find evidence of this lost tribe of the Israelites having connections to the place. And they made an absolute mess. And the National Museum of Ireland were quite rightly horrified that people were just showing up at the Hill of Tara and doing archaeological digs without permission from anyone. So I like to think that archaeologists and historians would have had their own view on all of this and would have probably intervened. I don't know if you can intervene against the fascist party get away with it. But I do like to think that Aldrin Hashiri, if they took power, which thank God they didn't, would never have managed to put these plans into, into action. Now they say that the political spectrum is actually a circle and if you go far enough left you'll end up on the right and vice versa. Mm. Uh, and it was true here as well. One of their councillors was a former yeah, Labour Party there was politician. something about the language of them that held some appeal to people. And you know, in one case, 
a councillor that was elected. He was from the Labour Party. He was a former Labour Party politician. And to me, that's a switch that just defies the logic of kind of left-right politics. How could you go from a, a social democratic party like the Irish Labour Party to a far-right anti-Semitic party uh, like Altrin Hashiri. But I think what people liked about them, they spoke in anti-politics, you know, that people liked. They said, it is the people, not the parasitic politicians and place hunters who will make Ireland again a nation. But whatever about this idea of it's making... Trumpism, isn't it's it? Trumpism, it's Trumpism. And it remains a strong language today. Whatever about making Ireland a nation, I think once the horrific realities of Francoism and Hitlerism on the continent were exposed, a fascist flag was never going to fly over the doll. Uh, or the doll itself was never going to be moved to the Hilatara. All right, my thanks to Donald Fallon. As Donald said, if people want to look it up online, you can see those plans. Uh, Dahi O'Hanley or David Hanley and Hill of Tara, look it up, you'll find them. Uh, Donald, obviously, author of Come Here to Me blog and book volume two out in the shops now. That is it for me today. Off the Ball is up next here on News Talk. My thanks to the production team, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan. Jojo Cardozo was on sound and to play out, born on this day, the 10th of June, uh, was Jimmy Chamberlain. He's 54 today. He was the drummer with the Smashing Pumpkins. Lots of strings and orchestral backing in this song, but it's all about the drums. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. On the record. On the record. On News Talk.